Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com, where, among other things, we publish in-depth and totally honest reviews of outdoor sports equipment. Today's podcast represents a pretty historic occasion. We're not sure this has ever happened before, but at the SIA show last week in Denver, we brought together founders and designers from a number of different ski companies, locked them in a room, and got them to discuss their approaches to ski design, talk about the harsh realities of manufacturing, and asked each of them to predict what we'll be seeing in the next five to ten years. We were joined by DPS founder Stefan Drake, the top two guys at Moment Skis, Casey Hawkinson and Luke Jacobson, from Armada ski designer Andy Hitjohn, from Blizzard Skis, Jed Duke, and from K2 and Line Skis, Jed Yeiser. The conversation pulls back the curtain on how the skis you love actually come to exist and provides some insight into what your next pair of skis might look like. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Alaska Airlines. Go to alaskaair.com forward slash ski to check out their current deals. Now on to our roundtable summit on ski design. Okay, well, here we are from uh, SIA 2016, and I'm personally pretty excited about this i i'm not sure a conversation let's call it a summit in fact i think we can call this a summit um a summit on ski design is about to take place um and i'm i'm not really sure that we've ever had together in one room um some folks whose job it is to think hard about ski design and development um have ever come together to talk about some of this stuff um and so I'm happy to be doing this. We've got, uh, to my left, um, a well-known person to the Blister podcast. In fact, the first guest on the Blister podcast. I'm sure many of you have just been listening and re-listening to this, the conversation I had with Jed Yeiser uh, because it was riveting. Jed is riveting. Um, <laughs> we were a little drunk, too. We should probably just oh, we were a little bit drunk. Yeah. We apologize for that. It was our Friday first one. That added yeah. to the riveting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We <laughs> thought we thought we were riveting for when sure. When things went off on tangents, yeah. that sort of yeah. Thing. But it was our first one, so we've gotten better. We're yeah, we're uh, we're better now at this. Uh, but Jed is a designer uh, for line skis and, and K two skis. Um, we also are joined by two folks, actually, from Moment, uh, Luke Jacobson and Casey Hawkinson. Um, so happy to have them here. Uh, Jed Duke is here from, can I just say Blizzard? I, from Blizzard. Let's, let's all right now agree it's pronounced Blizzard. Jed's about, about to leave. It's, a, it's about the snowstorm. It's a blizzard. Oh, it's a blizzard. Okay, it's blizzard or blizzard, except it's blizzard. It's okay. We'll, <laughs> when, when Jed's not here any longer, we'll go back to yeah, calling it blizzard. I mean, it was blizzard for so long, and then, yeah. then it came back. It's a tough... Blizzard. Yeah. Um, Jed, Jed, uh, Jed is a product in, involved with product development at Blizzard. Yeah. We then have from Armada, Andy Hitchin, Hitchon. Hitchon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
some of us pronounce it Haitian, which it's kind of like a Sufjan Stevens vibe, which you, which might be cool for you. Yeah, I guess you might, maybe. You could, sure. You could pull that off, I think. <coughs> yeah. Um, but Andy's here. Uh, he is at Armada, and um, happy to have him joining us. And then Stefan Drake from a company called DPS that I imagine you all have heard of. Um, thank you for being here. Glad to be here. Yeah. So we're just going to get the ball rolling with... Um, Apparently, it's my favorite topic on earth to talk about, uh, which is this trend in ski design um, and the sort of consumer pressures uh, to make things lighter and lighter um, on, per, let's say specifically on the ski side and also on the, on the boot side of things. Um, but we'll probably say a hell of a lot more about skis, I think, here. Um, so Jed and I got into this a bit. Um, so we're not starting with you. I was about to say, yeah, yeah. I probably let everybody else get there. <laughs> what I actually want to do is start with Stefan, because DPS has actually been a company that kind of was doing the light thing, um, and so this has actually been kind of an interesting, if not a shift, um, interesting that DPS kind of sort of got known, I would say, best because of this pure construction that they were doing, and, and so ironically, we're seeing DPS doing more experimenting and, and producing more offerings on some heavier stuff. Um, so let's start with the exact opposite of what seems to be a little bit of the, the trend these days. And um, Stefan, when you guys are thinking about um, making things light, um, how much is that at the forefront of what you've been doing as opposed to looking for specific performance qualities? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we when we started, you know, more than 10 years ago, it was, you know, I think we were inspired by, you know, just being in the backcountry and riding these double metal laminate skis that, that skied well, but they, you know, they didn't, they were 13 pounds a pair or whatever. And they, uh, you know, and moreover, yeah, I just started looking at other industries where carbon specifically had made a huge impact, like, you know, everything racing, sailing, golf, tennis, and just saw that you can create, you know, really electric products that are both light and high performance at the same time. So that was like the impetus for our exploration. And we started immediately jumped into, you know, making big powder shapes that were carbon fiber. Because as you know, you know, you get more surface area, the more benefit you get from that kind of build. So, but it's been a, you know, I'd say like a, I mean, it's a 10-year journey to perfect. It's a very tough material to work with and, and you know, to bring out the other characteristics in the skis, in skis that, you know, that we all like, like, um, you know, stability and damping and, and all that. That's, you know, as we all know, that's the, the trick with working with lightweight materials. So as we go forward, I mean, we've, we've been working on this stuff for a long time, but it's, it's really about, you know, it's about fine-tuning those other attributes that you initially give up. I don't know if we're <clears throat> like chasing a unicorn, but we really feel like within, you know, that, uh, you know, a pure carbon construction that you can, you know, you can make a ski that charges and does everything without compromise. So that's our path. And on the other hand, I mean, just to add on to that, like, you know, we realize that, I mean, ski, skis are so much about personal feel, right? Like some people grew up on double, double metal laminate skis and that's just what they, they raced on them and they love them or they grew up on 
you know, Glaskies in the park or whatever, and they like, you know, buttery forgiveness. So, you know, I, I think as a ski builder, we're just, you know, we want to cater to, you know, to like that semi-custom feel so that you can, you, know, you can choose your, your construction path and insert that into, you know, whatever shape, basically. So, yeah. Andy at Armada these days, how much is there much of this you know hey guys we really need to think about where the weights of the products we are making are hitting are you thinking about just different stuff and weight is kind of sort of far down the list sure what are you i think when we when we define any product we kind of create a brief of things this product must meet and weight is not always at the top of that list you know, maybe we have a weight target, maybe it's a 200-gram window, maybe it's a 500-gram window. You know, it's not, it's not defined. I don't think, I think if we were just marketing guys, we would have it pinned. You know, but knowing that weight drives your stability one direction, you know, or reactivity. You know, right, the way that it affects the ski, if, if this has to be an ultra-stable, safe ski, then weight is not at the top of my list. Um, so I think it's a balancing act, always. I mean, with every attribute and kind of defining which ones need to float to the top of this product and which ones need to, you know, be at the bottom. And it really depends on the skis we're designing. You know, I, I do think we strive for lightweight. We're not trying to ever pour in extra weight for reasons. Um, but we know that it, we know how it affects stability. It, you know, not exact, it's not a one-to-one change, of course, but we know it drives other, other feelings. When you guys are having these conversations at Armada, I don't know how many people are kind of going in if it's more like, okay, Andy is, you know, working, this is sort of Andy's ski, his project, et cetera. Or if there tend to be different voices there where there's somebody championing like, yeah, this, everything looks nice, but can we get the weight down here? Or, um, is that just not, is yeah, that, I think you have a, you have like a user persona that you try and, I mean, we did, we set that as well. You know, this is the target customer. This is the rider, you know, am I working with athlete A or athlete B? And, you know, really, or market A or market B, or am I designing a ski for Europe or for the West Coast of the U.S.? You know, and kind of trying to aim what are the design criteria there that they need. So it's upfront work to really define your customer because otherwise, yeah, we'll chase a super light ski that swivels and pivots no problem, but these guys hate it when they go to Alaska, you know, or it's wrong for certain conditions out east, you know, so it's... I think as important as it is on the engineering side, it's kind of framing the product, mm-hmm. you know, so we know what we can achieve, but let's frame what we're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. I would completely agree. I mean, we, have, we, we, we start with, okay, first, really, who is this for? Yep. And then immediately the next question is, what exactly do we want it to do? Is the customer going to be going uphill some is it you know and then from that you build the priority list lightweight for us for sure um, it's always on the list however depending on really what we want the ski to do what the target goal of it is depends on where the weight hits on that priority list mm-hmm. so Jed you said weight is always sort of on the list, but is it more on the list? Is it higher up the list now um, than it was five to ten years ago? Yes. Yep, I would say that it is. You know, on, on, on skis that are made, at least in our mind, they are just going downhill. Yeah. They, they, they will never really have an uphill yeah. application. 
you know, it goes a little bit down the list, but at the end of the day, I mean, if we can, it's all about the skier experience, regardless if you are a pure backcountry skier, if you're a racer, it really doesn't matter. It's the skier experience that we're trying to nail, and if you can make the skis lighter weight and still do all of the things that you really want them to do, it's an easier, it's a better experience. It can be, Mm -hmm. so... But there's, a, but there's a fine balance, depending, again, what you want the ski to do. You know, and oftentimes, you know, when you use the lightweight materials like carbon, carbon's also really reactive. So, I mean, they're, they're again, you've got to figure out what you want the ski to do, and then figure out how to do it. <clears throat> how, the, how are the moment folks thinking about this? Um, well, like, from the beginning, we're kind of more selfish, because it's we were just kind of building skis that we wanted. Yeah. But then over time, of course, we're you know taking in everyone's feedback. And, of course, from the line you see now, we have skis for every type of skier. And that's something that we just adapted to over time. But at the beginning, you know, it's kind of... And we still do that, like find the perfect ski for us. And we're like most other skiers. So, you know, and that works out too. But we also cater to... You know, the more intermediate or the East Coast skier. And, you know, we even did mobile skis for yeah. our friends that did mobile skiing yeah. and stuff like that. So, I think yeah. that point, though, is <clears throat> like trusting your own kind of likes and, and feel and yeah. building out from there is, at least in my mind, is a good way to go. Sure, Instead so, yeah. of, you know, looking at folk. Yep. There's a lot of noise to filter out, you know. And ultimately, all of us sitting here are part of the market that we're trying to cater to. Yeah. So if we want something, there's other people out there that want that same thing. And, and I think with choosing who we have testing our product, it helps determine the direction the product's going to go. You know, if you've always got the same testers, your skis are going to fundamentally ski similarly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got varying testers for different product lines, I think that's helpful um, to kind of push the product in the right direction. Is it the lightest weight product? Maybe. You know, depends what you're designing for. Yeah, I mean, another interesting part to this that we can, this group of people can talk about, and we'll be honest about, is that when we were working on our tour collection, a lot of people, I don't care what they call it, a lot of people use a core from a company called B-Comp, and we used it and tested it, and it worked well, and we also make all of our own cores in-house, so we made our own Polonia block core with some other elements, and our core was slightly heavier. Yeah, we don't talk in grams. We talk. It was 0.15 pounds heavier for the pair, um, and it skied just as well. And it was a lot stronger, and it was <clears throat> it was way easier to manufacture. Like that Bcom core is really hard to work with in manufacturing. So for us, we're like our core pro- might be probably more durable. It's easier to manufacture. It's slightly heavier to a point where like the customer's not going to care. At least our customer, I don't mm-hmm. think, is going to care. Um, maybe Stefan's customer is going to care a little bit more about that, that 0.15 pounds. So we, we took the ease of manufacturing and, you know, translated that into a ski that wasn't going to be a lot more to make. Uh, you know, so that's another factor, too. You know, it was just manufacturing yeah. and cost and all that, the deal with weight, you know. For sure. At the end of the day, is it worth it to make it that light besides just skiability? That's great. I mean, that's fundamental, like, design yeah. question there. You know, yeah. is, are you catering to the guy that's... Yeah, counting 25 grams and, yeah, like, cutting his toenails and wearing, yeah. wearing spandex right. or, is, you know. Is and that, that can, the customer exists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is, and this is, I think, maybe kind of exactly the stuff that doesn't tend to get talked about is that ease of manufacturing. And then, not to say it's related, but it's not necessarily unrelated, ease of manufacturing and the question of durability, yeah. right? And, and, I mean, yeah, Luke brought up the B-Comp core, and that's a core that I've spent three, four years working with. and. Yeah. Definitely, we've made some huge gains on on manufacturing with it. And from a testing standpoint, the skis that we've made with that core have skied better than than the Polonia core blocks we were working with. And and we felt that it was worth the the sort of the extra effort to get that core working in our skis. Um, yeah. But again, I mean, that's sort of it's six to one, half dozen to another, where the way we feel about a ski is not the way you guys feel about it. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Right, and it's it's not at all. And that's, I think that's why everybody sitting at this table has different skis. I mean, we're all having, we all have different solutions to the same problem. Yeah, and And that's what's cool. And the way that we approach the problem is like, you know, from our side, we were a, a, a racing, you know, a European racing brand. A lot of the other you guys in this room come from a soft snow world, and so I mean, yeah. for us, we are, and it's it's the, our our you know our guys, our Austrian guys building our skis. They they are so into it because it's something new and different to start to think more how you guys think about skiing in softer snow and what you know when we say performance, performance in soft soft snow is definitely different than performance on hard snow, and so. I mean, for us, we're definitely trying to think more outside the box and more in some of the ways that you guys approach the performance of a ski in soft snow and making them work better. And, I mean, obviously the goal is to make them do what, whatever you want, whenever you want them to do it, right? And, and the approach is, it's been fun for us to, to start thinking a little bit differently. And it's fun for our engineers, too, who have traditionally always thought this way, and now it's like a new challenge for them. So it's it's funny. You guys all just sort of had this kumbaya agreement about yeah, yeah. When we're designing this product, you know, the the question is who's it for, you know, and and you know who I mean who's it for? I mean, kind of. And I think what's funny, I find myself as being on the review end of this is like I'm asking that same question. You know, somebody hands me a ski, it, it really, you know it doesn't matter if I like it or not, right? It's, I think as a good reviewer, it's again, how accurately can I answer the question, who, who do I think this is for? Who is going to enjoy this ski the most? And, and that, so it sounds like we're all actually asking that same question. What I find myself frustrated about with certain skis is, and I find myself using the word coherent, a lot like I want to see what feels like a coherent design right and this is where sometimes I've made the accusation I guess that in the past it does sort of feel like a marketing department has come in and it's like this is say supposed to be a big mountain charger Jed and I talked about this um, in our first conversation but that's I think sometimes what I find most frustrating and again whether I'm right or not is the big question. I don't have the tapes on these meetings, but when it feels like, okay, we're setting out and let's make a big mountain ski. And then I see this ski that it's like, okay, well, these aspects of the design seem very coherent toward that end goal of making a big mountain ski. But then wait, why is this tip shape 
doing that? Or why is there this much rocker? Or, or why is that tail so soft? Or, and and it, the big mountain ski is just one example, right? And so anyway, I want to know, I guess, what happens from, because I love hearing this. Like we, are, we have a new project, a new ski. Who is this thing for? What do we want it to do? Because sometimes I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know who it's for. Like I can't figure that out. Um, does that, I don't know. Um, I, I'd love to hear somebody talk to that. Or if, if you're like, dude, I don't know what you mean. Um, that sounds weird. Um, but to me, I think ultimately I'll say when I get on a ski, whether it's an intermediate ski, um, whether it's any kind of ski, I like that sense of like, this feels like a very coherent design. And I always want to give like a blue ribbon to that. Right. Um, I mean, I feel feel free to jump in, but it's I feel like those discussions happen. They happen in every one of the buildings that we we work in. It's just a question of how far do you go. And like, if if a marketing department says, "Hey, this needs to happen on a big mountain ski," they don't necessarily get their way. It's something we can try, um, depending on how reasonable their requests are, or or otherwise. Um, but it, I mean, it comes down to the brief. And I think Andy and Jed talked about the briefing process really, really well. And at the end of the day, any decision we're making on a ski and when we're evaluating it on snow comes back to the brief. And, and is this decision in line with what we want the ski to be or is it not? And in some cases, you know, the part of the brief must be we want to make a big mountain or a line of skis inspired by one big mountain ski and we need coherence in the line for our sales and marketing department. And if that's high up on the list on the brief, then then it does change some decisions about tip shapes, tail shapes, what have you. Um, but it's, I don't know, for, think, for us it's all, yeah. does, is, does this do what we want to do, yes or no? But I think there are things that can do can push the coherence, as you say, kind of one way or another. And one is marketing, saying it has to be this way, and or sales, that this has worked better in the past. Or I think all of us deal with the process challenges, the engineering. Yeah. We have an ideal solution, but we know we can't manufacture our volumes for that. So we also represent, I think, the factory and the manufacturing floor to say, this is a great idea, but now I have to buy you know a new quarter million dollar machine or not do it. You know, and do we have that? So I think as much as those guys' opinions pull things in one direction, we also represent yeah. fe- feasible manufacturing. <laughs> reality. Right, reality. Yeah, just because it works <laughs> good once doesn't mean it works in production. Exactly. Um, you know, looks like a ski, smells like a ski, but like that doesn't mean you can make 10,000 of them. Yeah. You know, just because you can pull off a couple doesn't give you a production go on a project. So I think we all represent design as well as uh, manufacturing, yeah. Yeah. which is another hard part for us to represent. Yeah. And there are, I'm sure all of us have had times where you just sort of say no. Like, so the coherence yeah. goes one way. You know, can we achieve exactly the thing that needs it to look like the right product? Well, we can, but it's going to cost a half a million dollars. Or you know, it could be an off-quality issue. Or, yeah. yeah. So as much as we fight for something to nail that user, to nail that product goal, we have so many influences pulling on it. Yep. Hmm. And I would also say it does go back to the brief as well in that if, if, if you try to make a ski, if the marketing department comes in and says, well, we need a ski that works for everything, you, 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 can't, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you can't do that. Like, you should fire it, those people. You, wow. you, you will end up making something that works okay 
for a lot of things, but it's not really it's got good a wide belt at anything. Just not a high belt. So you know, I mean, I know that we have focused over the years on trying to, and and even more so as we move forward, to be committed to building a ski that does a specific thing. We call it it's specifically designed for you know X, Y, or Z. It's not specifically designed to work for X, Y, and Z. It will do it all, of course, but we're making it with a focus on a specific target. And then if we need a ski over here, we're going to make a ski that works for this specific target. To make one that works for everything, you end up usually making a ski that doesn't really work that well for anything. Stefan? I, I just love like the industry you know, marketing speak where everyone's like, Rips the groom, floats the pal. Yeah. It doesn't matter what ski it is. Yes. There it is. That's what all of our descriptions say. Right. All of our skis <laughs> yeah. are perfect. It's, and, and when I found the end of the rainbow with like riding on a unicorn. Yeah. It yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. It is funny though because, hey, uh, ever heard of a one ski quiver? I mean, well, I'm pretty I sure. One ski quivers exist, but Four. you know, if that, that could be an X, Y, or Z. Like this is a ski that you need that needs to have a broad range of appeal and a broad range of capability. That's not trying to do everything and please everybody, but that's one really important criteria, and it, it won't do as well at anything. It's sort of like what Jed said. It's not going to do anything great, but it'll do a lot of things well. Yeah. And it's a giant compromise. Sort of. yeah. yeah, but at the same time, when you say one ski quiver, we're all talking skiers like us. Like, if you're just like a weekend skier that cru cruises mm -hmm. the groomers, yeah. Yeah. a one ski quiver does exist, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, it does, because you're not leaving the trail. And, like, you know, we're, we're just thinking about skis. Well, we right, like, and there's not that you know? much variety in the conditions that those yeah, people exactly. are skiing in. Yeah, and so, But we're just, yeah. our descriptions, our marketing, and all that is for this whole touring thing. And like everybody's skis are getting lighter. And it's really silly because like so many people don't actually tour. So many people come in and want to put like a Duke yep. or a Guardian on their ski. And I'm like, cool, where do you tour? Oh, I'm just getting into it. You know, do you own a beacon? No. Yeah. But they want a light, they want a light ski, you know, like that's what I've seen so much over the last couple of years. And I mean it's our fault too. Like everyone's just marketing like lightweight and touring. Yeah. You know, they don't know what they want anymore, I think, half the consumers. It's confusing. And then everybody puts their own spin, including us, on a different marketing name for something, you know, when it's the same thing. So, yeah. okay, I mean, let's... Yeah, it, it's confusing. Well, and it's, not in you know, the industry. that's... I mean, we could, yeah, talking yeah. about how we define different things, like yeah. what constitutes a tip versus a rocker, you yeah. know, and that's, I don't know, we don't, maybe don't need to get into we that. We don't need but to get like, into that. I'm just, yeah. it's just, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, when we talked to Jonathan, you were sort of like, the sky is falling, everything's getting light, um, where are my heavy skis going? Having walked around yep. the show for two days, yep. are you, uh, would you no, back off? No, I did back off. Okay. So we just recorded, yeah, we actually just put up a, a conversation today. It does feel, as a generalization, all the buzz has been on the touring side of things, touring skis, touring boots, and, and I was coming in most interested to kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's what's going to be the story of this SIA. And I, I said, you can listen to it now. I, uh, I said it was fascinating to me that Dina Starr brought back the Pro Rider in a 192. Um, same ski. And, and I actually, that was like, we talked about the, we always talk every year about the product I most want to steal from SIA. That's kind of the product I most want to steal right now is a ski that I don't even know how many 
how long it's been since they've yeah. made that. And um, walking the floor, it there are examples of this. And so, uh, and what I love, and I, this will be very self-serving, and I don't care, but what I love is it seems like um, companies are. And, 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 and Dina Star is very clear. They're probably tired of me saying this much about this ski from Dina Star because they're like, look, listen, this is going to be a limited thing. <laughs> but, but, I, but, are gonna be really but I think that's great, right? Like, yeah. Because to me, what I've been hearing about is there's this pressure, the overarching story that I've been hearing about talking to everybody and some of you is that we are really, really, we have to make things so forgiving and so easy and that that's got to be the trend. And I'm like, you know what? People should fucking take ski lessons. How about that? Like, why is it always the manufacturer's fault? Go take a ski lesson, right? And so what I like, at least in this move, in seeing some of these, and, and everybody from the different companies seems to be saying the same thing, that it's going to be a, a, a smaller run. And I think that's fantastic. I think it's great as a branding play, but I'd love to see it be financially viable, done as a limited run. I'd love it to be a good branding play. I'd love it to get something to shut people like me up, you know? And then let's all go back to, like, God bless, yes, I want easy and forgiving skis out there. I want more people to do this activity and really enjoy it. Um, but I will have to say, and then I'll shut up, is that, yeah, I was, I was impressed mm -hmm. to see that rather than what felt like this death march to sort of death of the bigger ski, um, I think we're actually seeing a little bit of a like, hey, well, maybe we should do this in a limited run and keep it around. And, and I like that. Stay tuned. Yeah, um, good. Because I've been banging on that drum for a while now. So um, we'll, we'll talk more about that one later. But um, anyway, that to me is like cool. I'll be, I'll be less worried about this lightweight movement so long as I... You know, like we're saying, there's people out there that aren't touring on this stuff. And, um, and in those applications, I think weight works quite well. Weight should not be vilified. Well, but it's also, I mean, it's worth noting, and I, I mean, Andy said this, like taking weight out of the ski, there's not a linear relationship between taking 10 grams out and making it, you know, 10% more squirrely. There's a lot you can do within the realm of lightweight to try and, and get more of those performance characteristics that, that we want out of skis. And it, at some point, a lighter ski will deflect more easily than a heavy ski. You can't get around physics in that sense. You need a certain mass. You, but there's a lot you can do from, from certainly a flex profile standpoint and, and from a material selection point where you can really take ski weight out of skis and, and take a lot of weight out of skis and take a little bit of the stability out. And I think, I mean, yeah, where there are technical solutions and there's not a one-to-one a -one relationship between lightweight or removing weight and removing performance. And you get a different sort of performance, certainly. But, I mean, when any of us work to make a lightweight ski or lightweight is one of the most important criteria, we're all working to see how we can maximize performance within that weight envelope. And that's... Yeah. I think your point, Jonathan, of not vilifying or you know, going back to heavier skis was also made by our athletes and our test, you know, certain <laughs> testers. You know, if we've got the right testers and the right people validating or testing our products, they say the exact same thing. Like, I, this is a terrible decision of yours to make the ski way too light. So, you know, as much as you advocate for it, our internal teams advocate for it, we have to listen to it. You know, and we do. I think 
every brand in here does this, I think, pretty well. Actually has a good, solid, damp charging ski. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we've lost it from other areas, but you know, other companies, but I think for the most part, this isn't gone. One of the things that I'm curious from the thing that we were just talking about, I think maybe Luke was saying customers maybe aren't sure what they want. They don't know what they want. And that's kind of a fascinating thing. I, I can't think off the top of my head about other industries that maybe have that problem. Maybe, maybe it's actually more common than I'm imagining, but what the hell do you do about that, right? If, if, and I mean, I always think about this number, the number I have in my head, it's probably an old metric, but that the average skier and snowboarder is putting like 6.7 days a year on a mountain. I don't. I don't know if that's true or not. If somebody has a it's different like somewhere between six and nine, yeah, yeah six it's, and nine. It's, it's a lot lower than you think. Yes. So on that, I mean, that is interesting, right? Because if I like played the trumpet six to nine days a year, and I went to a party and someone was like, "Yo, do you play the trumpet?" I'd be like, "No." no. <laughs> and yet, if if that's our average, then people are going to parties saying that they love skiing and they're skiers and they're doing six to nine days a year, right? And God bless them. Like, good, I'm glad you're getting out. That's not my point. It, but the point is, that's a very interesting problem if, if we're saying that customers are coming in and we actually are not sure, you know, we're actually not, we don't know what we want or need. And how do you address that then, right? I mean, we're not doing a very good job as an industry, I would say, if that still seems to be, if you guys would agree, this isn't, you know, if you guys would agree that that's a bit of a dilemma, it's like, dude, you actually don't want that lightweight ski or, or you don't, or you don't want, or you don't want the big stiff truck. Exactly. Because Yeah. I mean, these people also have like really comfortable boots with like 60 flex that are like loose and I know we're talking about ski design but like if you play the trumpet nine times a year you know or whatever it is or skis you know nine times a year and you have crappy boots you can't drive the ski so it's like that's why a general consumer or they don't even know how to drive a boot you know and I'm not trying to like dog on the consumer like it's awesome they're getting out in the mountains and skiing and enjoying it and I hope that they do it more but when you talk about like this specialty Dean Star ski or some of our stiffer skis I just call them proform skis it's because it's like guys in the industry that want a 190 plus ski that's stiffer than hell, you know, that know how to like really charge and drive a boot. Like, and that's why you're not going to push that on someone else because like they don't have the training and they don't have the rest of the equipment to support that ski. It, get, but it gets back to exactly the first statement that we talked about, back to the brief. Yeah. yeah. Who's it for? Who's it for? I mean, if, if it is for the masses, then your priority list changes of what the ski needs to do. If you're building for, let's be generous, the top 20%, even the top 15%, the core, then, you know, then, then you, again, the priority list changes of what the ski can do. Yeah. And, you know... I mean, I think the way we think about it, we, we have this debate <clears throat> internally a lot, but it's, you know, the percentages are subjective, but there's kind of this sweet spot, you know, I feel like that's, let's call it 75% or something. Sure. And it's a ski that's accessible to someone with, like, moderate skills who maybe, you know, can't carve and bend the ski, but skids around at high speed or whatever, semi-carves. 
and it's accessible to that person, but it's equally fun to that same guy who might prefer, you know, 10% stiffer and, you know, five meters more radius or whatever. Yeah. And that's what we try to design. Yeah. I mean, that's, we're smaller, we have, you know, much smaller product line, but, you know, we don't think about who's the target. It's kind of like, will we enjoy the ski and will it have, will it fit within that range? Mm -hmm. And that's what we try to build. Yeah. Which to some extent is, I mean, that's that saying who the customer is or like what the, the breadth of appeal needs to be. Like, I, I don't know. I, at, at the end of the day, I think anytime any one of us are building a ski, we've got a very clear idea of what we want that ski to be yeah. and who, who we want to be able to enjoy that ski. Um, so. Yeah, and I mean, well, you know, from our, our perspective, well, there there will also be times where, from the business side, they'll say, "Well, how many are you going to sell?" Yeah, and and we and we've been able to convince them that says, "I have no idea." And at the end of the day, for this model, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And don't we're not basing success of this product on how many we sell. That's and if we are, then stop. But and they they have moved beyond that for specific products in the brief in the beginning. It's like this is not a sales piece. This is a this, vector product. This is a vector product to show what we can do to you know, and we're going to build it in a in a non compromised way. We're going to make it as well as we can for you know X Y and Z person. Yeah. You have to have those like core skis in your line, you know. Yeah. To keep those guys <clears throat> on. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've gone just from you know just navigating retail world to, you know, we had to, yeah, you know, we used to sell like minimal amounts of some of these skis. I mean, how many retail shops buy, you know, Lotus 138s or spoons? Like basically none. And if they do, they put them in their window. They don't actually ski. Yeah. Them. So, but people talk about them. Yeah, yeah but exactly. like that's, and, yeah. that's yeah, why we make the commie. And that's what we all ski on, you know, when it's, yeah, it's, when it's a good. Yeah, it's great ski. So, um, yeah, I mean, what we've done is just, I guess, you know, like, our approach is we have this powder works division that's, like, low runs, and, you know, the ski's still accessible to those that want it, but it just gets it out of retail world and, you know, uh -huh. just makes it yeah. more simple that way. If you build it, they will come. Kind of a deal. Yeah, no, we definitely, I mean, Armada definitely offers the product for the diehards. There's, it's a very small run, you know, probably in a very limited construction, and that's for the diehards at the top, and then... You've got enthusiasts that get a slightly different product that's still performance driven, but you know, not it doesn't give up on all the criteria. And then, as I think we all work down in price points, we deal with opening up the barriers, you know, making it an easier product. But that's I think we all do that now. What performance means depends on who you're shooting for and what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, for me, from a racing background, a, a GS ski is a very high performance ski, and that's a poor performance ski for someone that's just getting into it. Yeah. And so, I mean, we, we talk about high performance skis, but that really has to do with what what we're trying to achieve. It gets back to that brief, is how, how does this perform compared to what we're trying to achieve? Going back to that person who is skiing six to nine days a year, I hate the idea that it's like, let's have an insider conversation and we all ski a bunch or blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and like I, this shouldn't be a conversation about talking down to someone who maybe has a real job and is actually doing important things in the world <laughs> and like raising a family yeah. so they can't ski a ton, right? Like, so, but I think we have a, 
it seems to me there is a bit of a thing. Like, I would argue that it seems like a lot of marketing comp, uh, copy that comes out is afraid to say about a ski, like, this is for an intermediate skier, or this is for someone who's coming new to the sport, maybe to come fall in love with the sport, right? I think skiing is a very aspirational activity. We, we all always are looking at skiers who are better than us at lines that, you know, man, I don't think I could ski that. You know, that, and I, and I think that there's good reasons why skiing is inherently aspirational, but that does seem to be a bit at odds with the thought of like, we all want people to have a good time on the mountain. And if you're somebody who doesn't get to spend that much time, you, you probably are going to have a lot more fun on, a, on a, a ski that's easy to initiate, that's forgiving and the rest. And yet, so what do we do like, as an industry to make that okay or cool? How do you pull that off, actually? Like, to say, listen, you, you know, you're skiing five to ten days a year, that's awesome. We have something that's going to be a hell of a lot of fun for you. But how do you address the issue of like progression then for an athlete? You know, you don't go out and buy an intermediate level bicycle. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of assume you're going to outgrow that. But I think that I would say that we've talked a lot about that at Blister. Like, isn't it the case though that take the best mountain biker in the world and then take a very novice rider? Their setups might be different, but actually the bike might be the same. I don't think that's true in skiing. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. So, to some extent, I mean, or you could look at, I think, maybe a better example. This is like cars, where like the highest performance cars yeah. in the world are an F1 car, and I don't want to drive one because it and, won't be fun. And probably couldn't. And probably I mean, couldn't. I mean, yeah. But I don't, you it's know. It's like GS race skis. But, yeah, no, you know, there's there still. It's a different yeah. sport these days. But I think in the world of cars, there's still very high-performance cars that are very easy to drive, that are still exciting to drive. And as a consumer in the car market, like it's very easy to say this is still a very high-performance car. It's not the really stupid thing that I'm not going to have any fun in. And I think it's, it's a little bit more difficult to do that when you're skiing. I mean, everybody has an ego. And you, like if you're skiing around with your friends and you have the product that's designed for people that really don't know what they're doing so much and it's easy and approachable you know I think at the end of the day you're not going to get around somebody feeling a little bit slighted by I mean by saying here take take the cushy soft boot because you you can't really handle something more than that I don't know if that makes sense but I mean there there are solutions if you have a new technology that is, is demonstrably better for a certain but, group. But you always talk to people at whatever, dinners or parties or whatever, and I think, aside from our group, they will introduce themselves, they like to ski, and they'll tell you what, what color of runs they like to ski. <laughs> yeah. Huh. yeah. And I've yet to use those colors in several years, in a long time. But yeah. yet, they're, they're not opposed to it. They'll tell you they like blues, Dark blues. occasionally blacks, yeah. Yeah. or sometimes blacks at the end of the season. But and when I'm you amazed. adjust their they, din, they st- still say they're a level three skier. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like an ego thing. It is cool. Yeah, it's know? like, yeah, I'm 160, put my dinner for it. It is an ego thing. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, blues. we do it in all industries. Yeah. We do. I mean... I just think... What do you mean? You, we do it in all industries. What it, What industries? I mean, I don't, like, just... I don't want to go buy, like, the intermediate, like, beginner guitar, you know? Mm-hmm. I want a Fender Stratocaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to shred on it, you know? Like, I'm not going to go buy some, like... I mean... 
Well, I mean, we're all guilty of it. We're not better than anyone. Especially if it's something you're passionate about. You yeah. don't want to, like, you want to go all in and you want to get the most exciting yeah. stuff out there. And Yeah. Well, I think uh, one thing we're missing too, these people that are skiing six to nine days a year, they probably skied at one point in their life a hundred times. I mean, they, like you said, they went off and got a job and now they're just skiing on the weekend. Right. I mean, that's nine, nine weeks out of the year. That's a lot of skiing. And so they already have that skill base. And then going to the skis that are out there, a lot of the, the skis the pros are on are really accessible to the beginners as well because they're big, fat powder skis that anyone can ski, you know, because of the shorter lengths. And even, like, the stiffer skis at the shorter lengths, you know, are very manageable. And so I think that's why, I mean, kind of opens up the market a bit for that type of ski. Shifting topics, um, kind of interested in, you know, you guys are thinking a lot more about materials um, these <clears throat> days, and I guess I want to ask a kind of open question about sort of materials, how that, I think, tends to get, like, the rest of us aren't thinking much about materials, I would say, and materials and then kind of horizons, right? Like if there are things, I don't know, um, that you guys that are kind of on the radar, Andy was mentioning, maybe there are certain things that's like, man, this could be super cool, but could we, could we get these materials, you know, at a production level that would be necessary? What, what is going on? Um, you know, or maybe nobody wants to talk about this, um, but <laughs> right? no, I, think, I mean, I think well, it's, it, yeah, Stefan just left, but I mean, it's no. at, at some point, I'm sure if any of us or those of us that are looking at materials and believe that they're going to be game changing, that's not something that we're ready to share with the world. Um, I mean, we could talk about materials in a sort of a hand wavy sense, but if we, yeah, I mean, if there's carbon fiber two or you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, a brand new core material. I would say that I want it. Materials yeah. are super important to us, and we have people that that's what their job is. Yep, to be sourcing and looking and developing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like just talking about past materials, it's really funny how marketing departments will hype up different materials. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure we all put some Isosport product on our skis. You know what I mean? Or have it not some on point. Orders, not on, yeah. but on, on yeah. all the place orders with ISOSport in the last year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you know? But it's so funny that everyone has this super awesome, badass top sheet or this or that. It's like, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of funny. Sometimes when marketing talks about materials, I just laugh, you know? Because there are some things that are shared. You know, like cookies are always going to need flowers. Let's not talk about cookies. <laughs> But <laughs> there's not, like, there's not yeah. that many manufacturers exactly. of the materials. Right. There's a couple of edge manufacturers. Edge materials are coming from yeah. two factories. Yeah. Yeah. So. But I think the way you know we're all at SIA right now, and the, what happens is there are raw material vendors upstairs walking around, and they talk to each of us, and they've got something really great, and it sounds amazing, and then you know the performance characteristics are correct for us. You know the weight is probably just dead nuts, exactly what we're looking for. And then we, we're going to take another month and we're going to draw what we need it to look like. And then we're going to, a month later, <clears throat> we're going to get a cost back from them. 
we're going to all realize we can't afford it and it's too late to use it. You know, and, then we have to find, and then we have to figure out what was in our back pocket previously. And you know, I think that's where we all kind of reach for something new or we try and push a development or you know, that's where I think all of us probably go a different, a different way to get something into our product. You know, that's, we all probably got talked to by the same person, but now how do we implement some piece of that or all of it? Yeah, it's you know, That's maybe where our creativity as individuals goes. You know, and Stefan, you guys have had insane use of materials over the years, you know, and yeah. pretty creative and your machinery does stuff mine never could. You know, and I think it's pretty cool. It's it's amazing when you meet with the same manufacturer, we all spin it differently. I think that's up to us to keep doing. You know. Not tell each other what we're doing, but we're all working with the same ESOSport or some other rare material and then how we spin it and how we process it using the raw materials very differently. You know, just because we're all buying an ESOSport top sheet or base material doesn't mean that we're using it the same way. Or, yeah, that's how you process you know, the, it, too. Yeah. The materials we get from Vector Ply or Shomara or Seertex or any of the glass vendors, mm-hmm. um, you know, not to use the cookie analogy, but you use if you have the same ingredients, depending on how you combine them, you get a very different result. For sure. So, yeah. yeah, it's as much about the alchemy of using these various materials in, in the yeah. right ways. Yeah. And it's not like all of our core materials are the same material and no. everything is the same. No, there's, there's differences, some, but there are some similarities. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, just like from our, our perspective, I, I think like we started very with a material focus, you know, to try to push a new paradigm and then some like very gross kind of shaping advancements you know and that was that's how we started but when you look at it I mean there's there's so many great skis being built now with the more or less same materials that were around 20 years ago you know it's just materials are that's maybe it's not even half the battle you know it's all the all the other design steps past and all the yeah. minute detail and flex profiles and side cuts and how they interact and the type of glue you use yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, but I mean I also think materials are sort of the, the next horizon where it's all of us right now are really working on refining <clears throat> shapes and flex profiles and, and sort of raw mechanical data on skis for lack of a better way of describing it. And I think skis keep on getting better because we're getting a better and better understanding of how all of those different characteristics work together. But at some point until we, we do discover that new material or, or type of material, class of material, that we're going to be a little bit limited in what we're able to do. Maybe limited in what we're able to do isn't the right way to put it, but I think that's the, the next large advance in ski in skis is going to be in materials. I think it has to be. Anyone disagree? Materials is kind of the next frontier. I think like camber shapes and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean that's huge. Mm-hmm. We like that's snowboarding. I mean. We're <laughs> we like snowboarding. Yeah, no, they Same have more. so much more fun than camber. You guys are missing out on it. You guys need to do more of that. Because I love, no, I love it. I love to see someone make a ski and then someone comes out the next year. There's so many cool skis out, you know? I love, like, seeing a ski someone makes and the next year someone else, like, made it a little bit better. It just makes skiing more fun for everyone. It's the evolution of it all. Well, it's a learning process. Yeah, right? it is a learning process. It's awesome. Yeah. And especially in the last, what, 10, 15 years, it's been insane. It's super cool to see all that happen. 
So the next, okay, so in thinking about the next five to ten years, I mean, Jed wanted to just put on the table the next horizon is materials. Luke was just saying we can still play quite a bit with camber profiles. That's what we're focusing on. I mean, we're still working on materials. Everyone is talking about materials. Yeah. We're going this way. We're going to do something else. You're going to get weird? We're going to get weird. We're going to keep it weird, man. I mean, last time we got weird was with our triple camber, and now it's in half our line. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was just an idea to, you know, just you got to try it to know. It's in our best-selling men's ski, best-selling women's ski. And a lot of people kind of at first go, what the hell is triple camber? And kind of just, like, shake their head at it. But, you know, we do tons of demos, and just it, it took off. People love it, you know? So it works for us. Andy, next five to ten years? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree it's material-driven. I think we're seeing materials right now in aerospace that have now come down from military <laughs> level into, like, more consumer-level stuff, even, like, wind. and yep. It's getting into composites now that are going mainstream. I think what we need is when a big material, when a manufacturer picks up a new material, that they start making it for military stuff, and then they start spitting it out in huge volumes for somebody else. That's when we can finally start to grab on a little yeah, bit. It's not. It's no longer. We have to wait for it to take off somewhere else. You know, if it's um, a honeycomb type thing, or if it's just your fibers. You know, we see it probably ten years ahead, and we know we can't touch it for ten. That's when we can start testing it, and then we've probably got another ten years till it's somewhat commercially acceptable price-wise. So there, there's a huge <laughs> tube that everything's coming down. You know, it's not a nano tube. It's. I think there's composites coming in like crazy right now. I think there's a lot of new. Uh, they are honeycombs. They're air-filled stuff. It's uh, really, really strong fibers, really damp fibers um, that are all kind of coming online. So, yeah. Jed, yeah. next five to ten years? I, I would agree with materials as well. And, you know, for us, we're also f- focusing, again, within a specific category, really making that ski do exactly what we want it to do, whether it's, you know... In the past, we, like I said, we've approached from more of a typical high performance racing style and as we've learned you know in once you get into softer snow performance what actual performance is changes so whether it's adjusting how the torsional flex works in specific areas of the skis or just just finding ways to really make them function more specifically better but also for sure focused on materials well they're the vehicle to get it there exactly and to make it different than everybody else. Yeah. You know, that's a competitive yeah. advantage if you're good with materials. We and your factory is nobody else uses this. Yeah. This is why our skis are better. Right. It's it's easier marketing than saying, Hey, I moved a tenth of a millimeter of this flex profile and right. check it out. Yeah. You know, like no one can see that or you know, they're not not necessarily gonna it's not as sexy as, you know, whatever boron or real titanium or whatever yeah. new composite you just discovered. But I guess I think my take is somewhere in between the two. You know, I, I really think that, that you know, as, as long as you're willing to charge or you 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 know you can charge enough for the skis, the composites are there now to make skis as damp as you want, overly torsionally stiff, and probably go under the mass that you know we all agree upon. There's a certain range that a, you know downhill ski would like. So I, I think that stuff's there right now. Um, maybe not quite under that mass market price thresholds but to me it's it's really it's about yeah that alchemy plus those design refinements and and, 
uh, yeah, as you see, I mean, like, over the last five years, there were these radical shapes you would see every year at the show. Now that's kind of normalized. You look around, everyone's got big taper <clears throat> tips or, you know, every rocker profile under the sun. But, you know, now it's, I think it's, there's a lot of refinement there that maybe isn't, you know, it's not as much to talk about as a headline from a marketing standpoint, but in terms of the actual skier experience, it's, that's where, like, big jumps can be made. Yeah. What do you guys want to ask? What's, what's the best question I'm not asking right now with, uh, with a group of people thinking about materials and ski shapes and ski designs and how to make that commercially viable? It'd be kind of cool to hear everyone's take on how they start a design. You know, like, you hear about, you know, you guys are more engineers than I am. I was kind of more of a hobbyist that started, and then he's an engineer. So, um, you know, I just, just from being a skier, I'm like, oh, I kind of want something like this, and I design more on trial and error. You know, that's what I want, and, oh, refine it this way. So it'd be cool. And, you know, with Luke helping design the skis and stuff, um, you know, he brings a lot of the engineering questions and stuff and then you know tons of engineering goes into the material but we don't really run the computer tests like we don't do a lot of FEA or anything I mean I think you can do you can achieve a lot with without FEA or or any sort of finite element stuff yeah I mean I know how to do it but sophisticated laminate models yeah but I mean we've gone we we broke a lot of skis you know yeah but how, how did you break them? On snow or in your lab? Yeah. In our lab. So yeah. you took, I think it's all trial and error. Like we started with skis yeah. and then you design a lab test to test the variables that you think you just felt. Yeah. And then you quantify things. And then you build on years of this to develop some understanding of this affects this. Right. Exactly. It's not every yeah. time it's not trial and error. You don't start with a blank slate and a thumb and, you know, kind of a sketch. No, typically when we make a new ski, it's like we put a core in it from like a similar ski yeah, right. hopefully trying to only you know minimize the variables to see how right. they react I think it's like an any engineer and, and that's what you're supposed to do, do. like change the side cut or keep the same side cut and change the profile and so exactly. you're making sort of incremental changes I mean there are definitely projects that I've done where it's not an incremental change where it's sort of throw everything out the window I'm sure we've all done that and that's fine. throw everything out the window and start from scratch because what we're trying to do is nothing like anything we've done in the past yeah, that's usually where you learn the most when yeah you, for sure when you like just go way outside the boundary of what you just to try it and it's kind of against your scientific mem- theory though like your scientific yeah. method like it's it's very right. opposite it's mostly what you hear from like your athlete yeah. like no throw that all out and start this way <clears throat> Yeah, all the biggest mistakes and the biggest learning curves in terms of design. I got another question while I've got a room full of designers. (laughs) There's a lot of skis I look at these days, and I think that thing has too much tip rocker. Either too much splay or too deep of a rocker line. But then what I don't get to do is ski that same ski in like a different iteration of it with actually a less deep rocker line and less splay. So I, I look at them sometimes and sometimes actually I look at it and I think on, you get it on snow and it's like, actually this works quite well. There's sometimes I feel like I get on a ski and I'm like, 
I end up, I'm like, I can't ski this how I want to, and it feels like if it just, that tip rocker line was moved, pushed forward, and the splay was reduced, I would actually be able to get, like, on the front of this ski a bit. So my question is, I'm assuming some of you guys do get to play with, you know, several to a dozen versions of a ski in development. I don't actually know how many versions you guys actually get on snow. On a, now we're just talking about shape. We're not talking about different flex patterns, right? We're just talking about tip we're, rocker shape. Yep. So okay. we're talking about rocker lines and splay mounts. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to know, would that lead to a pretty profound difference in terms of how that ski feels on snow? Or do you think that I'm actually wrong about how significant a change like that would be on a given ski? I think the, the significance of the change has a lot to do with things like how tapered is the tip, how soft is the tip, what materials are in there. With certain In certain scenarios, a, a slight change in a rocker line is going to make a drastic impact on, on the way the ski skis, especially if there's not a lot of taper, it's stiffer up in the tip, and, and it's a heavier ski. If it's lighter, it's more tapered, a small change isn't going to make that much of a performance delta unless you start bringing it down to the point where the ski actually starts coming in while it's still on the snow, and then then it's a huge change in it. One. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, that's my two cents. But I think I would agree. Go ahead. Uh, as I say, yeah, I think you know, oftentimes a lot of rocker is a is a can be a band aid for a for a bad flex profile and you know once you lower that down if that's being exposed once you have more um, effective edge that might not be a good thing you know but if the flex profile can accommodate that uh, that flattening then you, yeah, you may well get a better scheme so would you be willing to generalize that it's sort of better to err on the side of too much sort of to or this isn't a generalization that works like it's so hard to talk about this in a vague sense yeah, yeah. because yeah, like i so have like different skis popping up in my mind that i know that i like or dislike yeah and but you have to talk about it on like a per basis this is like a really hard conversation and we also rocker differently differently yeah like yeah. where and it, and it all the, i mean there's like, yeah you you got flex you have side cut and you have rocker profile that all need to work together sort of in harmony and if any of the three is out of whack, the skis don't work right. Mm-hmm. right. And so, and you can really change, you know, how the ski feels by adjusting any of those. If yeah. you have a ski that has a really soft tip and no side cut, it's still going to turn pretty good, actually. Yeah. I mean, you can you can really change it. So, in order to find the, the right blend is kind of the magic of it. That's I mean, yeah, that's the art and the it science is, is figuring yeah. out how to get there. Yeah, but... <clears throat> But then how come I'm seeing so often on the floor, like it's the new novelty for me is seeing a ski that say, even once we go over 90 millimeters wide underfoot, like a lot of the times I'm looking at skis that are relatively skinny at like 90 and like we're not even hitting 100 yet and I'm putting them together and I'm like, man, there's a lot of tip rocker on this. So how come I'm, and so it's the surprising thing anymore is like, wow, pretty subtle tip rocker line. That seems a little odd, right? I mean, 
Do you think we have I mean, a lot of tip rockers? I mean, the first yeah, question, the first question might be, make is it supposed to be that much tip rock? Well, that's, that's, that's also, well, that's, <laughs> I think it would be helpful to, like, call, call a ski that one of us makes out as an yeah. example, because it, I, like, I, I, I think when you're talking about things like that, it's really tough to speak in generalizations, yeah. and all of us here can talk about skis that we're really familiar with and sort of yeah. talk about the development of a rocker line in, in one thing or another. Yeah. Well, one, I mean, one example is the last ski I was reviewing, but, and it's a ski that I actually have really, I think it's kind of great, but this Liberty Origin 96, and it's, it's 96 underfoot, and I'm looking at it, and I was at first like, why is there this much tip rocker on the ski? And what's interesting is I did ski it in a pretty significant amount of pow, and turns out that thing planes well. And I'd also say the flex pattern on that ski works really well given how much tip rocker there is there have been a, a ski that I like couldn't ski was actually the Norwalk and I think a big part of it was like man I can't stand on this thing and now who's saying why are you supposing that you're supposed to drive the shovels out of that ski right like that's a, which would be a legitimate claim but it's just the trend that I would say that I see Again, as a ch- so we can talk about other specific skis, but I do actually want to talk about this as a trend. As I'm walking the floor and looking around from different companies, it just feels like this is massive. I mean, we go back, what, not even 10 years, and we wouldn't have been seeing any of this. So I want to know why we kind of went from a world of, like, kind of no-tip rocker to pretty significant. I was surprised. Stefan and I were actually looking today at the Nordica Enforcer, that ski is 100 underfoot. It's a really good ski. Um, that Enforcer, I'd already say, has a lot of tip rocker. Nordica just made the Enforcer 93. It also has a lot of tip rocker. It, there didn't really seem to be a diminishing of, the, of tip splay, despite the fact that they went narrower. I don't know how it skis. Um, anyway, I just... I'm <laughs> What? I, I mean, <laughs> they didn't want to make a new press. Yeah, if, if the rocker's the same, yeah. I would, given the difference in waist widths, I would strongly suspect that that is not the production rocker line. Huh? Or maybe it is, and they just don't want to make a new mold. It's cost, too. It's cost when you look yeah. at it. Yeah, we mean, so, that's real. Yeah, we, but I mean, that said, though, yeah, I think. I'll say it. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 At 100 underfoot, though, I think if you get those, you know, those three things Jed mentioned right, I mean, Rocker can be a nice addition, even at ninety. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Low underfoot, so you just gotta get it right. It just can't be the. the it it can't be a. Cross it might be a way to take a ski that would be overpowering and a little bit too strong and make it a little bit easier and still maintain a high power threshold through ninety percent of the body. Yeah. But by adding that little bit of tip rocker, exactly. or even an exa- like you say an exaggerated amount of tip rocker you just you make it easier but you don't necessarily take the top end off right? it's also really going to help you in variable snow conditions yeah. it's going to help the ski yeah. get up on plane <clears throat> more easily as you're saying but also if you're busting through crud and a lot of stuff you want you want a lot of rocker and so if everything else is working well then you can sort of as Stefan's saying if everything else is working well you can get away with a little bit more rocker and still have a ski that yeah, and, and it, it looks, looks cool. Yeah, it looks. I don't want to like ride around on a one forty centimeter ski. You know, these are pure skis, not parabolics. Mexican point. You know, <laughs> 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 it looks cooler. You get the longer ski. 
Yeah, you get a longer ski, but you're still on your original pair of balls. Yeah, you get the, yeah. the surface That's why people like them. Ski. I mean, that's why I like that Rossi line does so well. You don't need to drive your boot on, like, any of those skis. Yeah, ski blades with long tip and tails. Exactly, yeah. Um, but, like, it's, they're easy to ski. You don't need to drive your boots. Like, it's just, you know? I think it goes back to that brief. Like, who is this ski aimed for? Who's you know, it for? What, yeah. How's this ski going to be used? What's important to the customer? Yeah, sorry. What's either working off. or where are we going? You know, what are we aiming for with this specific thing? So, yeah. targeting that. Yeah, interesting. Well, I, I feel like there's a conspiracy theory here because y'all are totally on board with huge amounts of tip rocker. And, and I, what, I, what I would love We're to do... We're going back to standard camera in the tip and huge tail rocker. I think yeah, that's, that's, that's the, the future. Ski. We're going to yeah. surprise you next year. Okay. okay. I wouldn't say that I'm, on, I'm not on board for huge amounts of tip no. rocker. I'm on board for the right blend of side cut, tip rocker, and flex. And yeah. then... You know, and again, as you add tip rocker, most likely the ski would end up needing to be, the flex would need to be stiffer in order to keep it manageable. So, again, it comes back to how the, all those parts go together. Right. And, it's, and, and what you want the ski to do. Yeah. I mean, to, to use an example from sort of development on the line side, we do a lot of work with Eric, whose skis are pretty rockered and reasonably yeah. tapered. But anytime. <clears throat> We start a project with Eric. He basically says, "I want as little rocker as we can get away with, and as little taper as we can get away with, and still getting the ski that we want to get." And for Eric's skis, it ends up with a fairly large amount of rocker and a fairly large amount of taper. But the goal is not, "Hey, let's make this ski super rockered." It's a, "This is what I want out of a powder ski or a slarvy ski," and rocker is one of the tools we use to get there. But it's, I mean, a ski is going to ski better on hard pack with less rocker. Full stop because you have a longer effective edge. You're going to have less tip flop, less tail flop. Yeah, if you can yeah. drive. Well, if you can drive. Well, if yeah, you can yeah, drive. Yeah. 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 Um, for me. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Yeah, so, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something, at least with the moment line, that you'll see. I don't think we have a lot of stuff with tons of rocker. I mean, we made the ghost chant back in the day, but that was like a very athlete-driven ski. Like, our collection of skis is very much based off of what Casey and I think. Like, these guys have a lot more budget and manpower to really decide, like, in that brief, figure out who the ski's for. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of times, like, our line's gotten a lot more cohesive and, and better throughout the years. I mean, that's why we dropped the Jack Shark, is that we used to just make skis, hey, this will be cool. Yeah. Oh, shit, how do we sell it? Like, we didn't think about the brief that much. We thought about just our personal needs, and that's something we've learned a lot as a brand. Is like, hey, let's let's refine this, let's do that. But you know, I don't think we make that ski you're talking about because I think you know, with that huge, we don't really make anything that looks like a Norwalk. Not that that's a bad ski at all. I don't think it is. But we don't make anything that looks like a forefront Kai. That super mm -hmm. rocker, tapered ski. You know, and that's not not saying it's a bad <clears throat> ski. It's just not a ski that Casey and I like to ride on a lot. And it's worth working with the athletes. You know, it's what's working for them it, with what they're riding in their style at the time. Yep. So, you know, if, if we developed it four years ago and they were skiing exclusively at one place, <clears throat> it probably did good there because it was winning their tests. And now maybe that's not the style. Maybe there's a new thing happening. Yeah. Yep. And their style is important because you got, yep. you know, you got like the, this, the, the athletes that are coming in as the ex-racer type of skier. And then, you know, the other type of athlete who has just basically been a Western ripper, soft snow, 
you know, more playful type of field skier, and, and they, they want different things. Totally. And sometimes you don't know that you, you need or don't need it. Like, I mean, the original JJ, when it was called the JP versus Julian, in a 191, the tail came up higher than the right. tip because they thought they needed a bigger tail to land backwards in power. Because there was no rocker. And it was yeah. a centimeter taller than the tail. Yeah. Right. So it was a centimeter taller tail. Yeah. <clears throat> Which, crazy. You know, yeah. Nowadays. Yeah, but no one even, still. like, no you don't consider making a bigger tail yeah. anymore, right. you know? Not on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not on purpose. Huh. Well, gentlemen, I want to let you guys go. This, um, this has been fun. Um, I appreciate you taking the time, and, um, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll have another summit someday when I come up with some more questions for you all, and I'll, I'll get you admit to the tip rocker conspiracy at some point, <laughs> maybe. Or, um, but, no, it's fun, and, and I... I I think we, um, for those of us who like skiing and aren't designers, um, it's fun to hear you guys get to talk about this and flesh out that picture of how you all are thinking about these things. And um, um, yeah, I think it will, I, I think there is a good result in that, you know, some of us in this conversation or listening to this conversation will probably think a little bit more maybe about, well, yeah how do I ski and how do I like to ski and where do I ski? And I do think that stuff is pretty useful. Um, we talk about it a lot on the site, just kind of know thyself, right? Like what are you actually trying to do and how do you have fun on the mountain? And all of that will help everybody get, hopefully lend them to get on equipment that'll work well for them and we'll all have a pretty good time. So, um, anyway, thanks again. And, um, yeah. Hope to see you guys all soon after the show. Thanks, Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Stefan Drake, Casey Hawkinson, Jed Yeiser, Andy Hitjohn, Luke Jacobson, and Jed Duke for the conversation. To our strikingly handsome yet emotionally available audio engineer, Justin Bob and to Alaska Airlines for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to go to alaskaair.com forward slash ski to check out all of their current deals. Till next time, head over to blisterreview.com to see what we're up to there. Subscribe to the Blister Podcast in iTunes, and we'll catch you next Thursday on the Blister Podcast.